Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophecy in in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. First Corinthians, all of chapter 12. Now about the gifts of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. And to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink, and so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. 
But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Thank you very much, Julia, for bringing God's word to us. Well, if you're joining us on this Sunday and haven't been uh, with us over the last couple of weeks, we're in a series looking at the church, and this is the the final um, sermon in this series, looking at the church and what it means to be part of God's community. Uh, Looking at, we've looked at eldership, we've looked at being members, we've looked at um, the sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism, we've looked at the issue of discipline, and today we're looking at service. The issue of God's equipping his church with spiritual gifts. And the church around the globe is celebrating Pentecost today. Uh, The coming of the Holy Spirit in power to empower the 12 apostles and Jesus' followers to fill them anew and afresh with power to do his work. Isn't it amazing that the book of Acts starts with the Lord, the risen King, going into glory and entrusting his mission to his church. But they're not alone. They have his spirit. And that's what we want to celebrate today. And so, in some respects, as I've uh, prepared this sermon, um, throughout the week, just going, oh, my life, there's more and more and more we need to do. But don't worry, I've tried to um, be uh, as restrained as possible in one sense. But it does feel like this is a subject we will keep coming back to as we want to grow in the gifts God has given us. When was the last time you had terrific service? Whether it was was it a meal that went really well, the food was delicious, prepared superbly by the chefs, the waiters, the waitresses were really friendly, they were very attentive, they just were there when you needed them. The restaurant was clean and comfortable, maybe it was a memorable meal. Was it a super helpful shop assistant? You know the type who just are there for you. They've got the time. They're listening to you. They're not trying to fob you off. They help you get what you needed. Or the Uber driver who's on time. They get you to the destination without hassle. They're just really friendly. It, it, it counts, doesn't it? Great service. We appreciate, we appreciate it. There's something very satisfying about everyone knowing what they're meant to be doing. Everyone getting on with their task. At the moment on the BBC, there's um, a series of programs that are a sort of fly-on-the-wall documentary of the Queen Elizabeth um, aircraft carrier, which has been recently commissioned. And uh, this is a couple of years ago. It was during COVID that they made this documentary. But it's fascinating seeing these F-35s, these state-of-the-art aircraft with the flight deck crew all working in absolute synchronicity without any verbal communication because you can't hear. So they're the guys who wear the the earmuffs and they're doing all the hand signals and this, that, and the other. 
and they guide these multi-million or even billion pounds worth of aircraft just by using hand signals, and they then take over, and they're all on point. And to see that teamwork, to see them absolutely on point, it is amazing. These aircraft being launched in whatever weather, from stormy weather to 40-degree heat, these teams working. It is amazing to see it come together. And we've experienced that in life, whether it's at work, when your work team really get it, and you get that deadline over the line together. Isn't it great? Or in the family, when you have a celebration, and everyone's working together the right way. Someone's brought some food, someone's got the cake, the venue's organized, you know, there are games, the kids are getting on. Everyone's doing their bit. It's working well. We see it really in football teams. I'm really hoping for Stockport, Stockport County today. They're down at Wembley. This is their playoff final. I'm really hoping they are drilled, they know what they're doing, and they're going to go to League One. I really hope that's the case. Praying for it. And I know David is as well. He's down there right now. Um, so David Martin, I hope he's having a lovely time. But um, yes, we want to see that. And when teams play well together, something to celebrate. And you know, it's true in God's church. When you look at the local church, you should see a diverse community of people working together as one for the good of each other, for the benefit of those who are not yet part of their community, all for the glory of God, all for the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That is why the Holy Spirit came. He is empowering us to show the glory of God through his church. And there's no way of escaping the fact that Jesus expects his church to be a place of great service, a community where everyone who says he is Lord is a servant. There are no passengers like that aircraft carrier. We're on a mission. We have a call from the Lord God Almighty. There are no passengers. Why is that the case? Well, what is it that Jesus expects his service? Well, it reflects who he is. He is the king of kings, but he is the servant king who gave us salvation by giving his life and his death and resurrection. And not just that, not that he is just the servant king, so follow in his example, but he has returned to his throne and given us his spirit. He has given us gifts as the reigning king to use on his mission. And so the first thing I want us to, to get as we look at this topic of gifting and service is quite a simple point, but it's one we can't afford to overlook. It's here right in Romans 12, and again, as Paul picks it up in 1 Corinthians 12, but let's look at this Romans 12, verses 4 to 5. Already in Romans, in chapters 1 to 11, Paul has outlined the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ, that we're saved from judgment of our sins by his atoning sacrifice. That is by faith. His righteousness, Christ's perfect life, is now counted as ours. And we're now ruled by the Holy Spirit, not by law, Romans 8. We're free. We're, con we're no longer condemned. And in the light of such mercy, all of those riches, Jew and Gentile, now brought together as one family, what are you going to do about it? Paul says in chapter 12, this is how it looks. In the view of that great mercy, this is how you're to live. 
For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. So there we go already. Like, have a real opinion of yourself. Don't, don't wallow in low self-esteem, but see yourself as part of the team. Verse 4, for just as each of us has one Uh, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. Can you see, therefore, the emphasis right here, right at the start of the application of the gospel in chapter 12, the emphasis on diversity. There are many members, lots of Christians, lots of different experiences and giftings, but there's total unity. There's one body. The focus isn't inward on meeting my needs, but outward looking to the needs of others. And any spiritual arrogance, therefore, is is challenged by this straight away, isn't it? The fact these gifts aren't earned They're freely given. It's grace, grace, grace. And they're given as God sees fit. Each person who who trusts in Christ for salvation belongs to Christ. And so belongs to the church, the body of Christ. Let's flip to 1 Corinthians 12. If you've got your Bibles there or you're using your, your device, your tablet or phone. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 3. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Can you see right from the start, regeneration, that confession of Christ as our Savior, is a work of God's miraculous power in his Holy Spirit. You can't say, Jesus is Lord, meaning it without God already having worked in your heart and mind. Verse 13, for we were all baptized by one spirit. Now, when Paul talks about being baptized by one spirit, he uses it to refer to that moment of conversion when the spirit enabled us to believe and truly say Jesus is Lord. So, all baptized by one spirit. So, for what purpose? To form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. You see, God does not want Christians to live in isolation. We're to show the world the power of Christ in our unity. That unity which breaks down all divides, language, race, politics, economic background. If the NFL in, in the USA can send the world a powerful message about against racism when players take the knee before matches, how much more Does God's church show Christ's power to break down all human divides? Language, race, politics, education, wealth, injustices that we see. Broken down in Christ, all can come to him. And Paul draws this out fabulously, doesn't he, in verses 12 to 16, which uh, Julia read so animated and well, so we could engage with it as we get this very memorable illustration of the human body. Each person in church is, is like a part of the human body. It's a very straightforward point. God gives us jobs to do in that body, and they're not all the same job. Verses 14 to 25. Just look at your body now. Look at it. There's one of you. You've got fingers. 
You've got eyes and nose. You've got legs. You've got vital organs that thankfully none of us can see at the moment. <laughs> and if we can, someone phone 999 and let's start praying, okay? Um, there's lots of intricate, important bits that make you you. The differences are not submerged, though, are they? They all have their part to play. The one doesn't override the many, nor does the diversity fragment the unity. So the Holy Spirit, in his wisdom, distributes to each person what is right. Verse 11. You see, the Spirit's gifting isn't misguided. It isn't random or chaotic. Verses 4 to 6 show God the Father empowers all service. The gifts are used in the service of Christ's body for the Lord Jesus. He is the one being served. And the Holy Spirit gives them out, dwelling in the believer, growing them, making them fruitful. Can you see the Trinitarian God, one yet three, absolutely united at work in his church to make us one yet diverse on his mission. So as we look at the gifts God has given this church, let's not lose sight of the unity and diversity that God has called us to. And at Grace Church Manchester, I'm thankful we're a diverse group of people. It's a real gift. It's a blessing to be in a city where we can enjoy that. And yet don't take that for granted. I don't think we've already arrived. But yes, we're people from different ethnicities, different languages, experiences, academic experiences, work backgrounds, different church backgrounds. Our individuality shouldn't get lost. But also, don't think it's all about me, all about I. And unity takes work. We also want to celebrate what builds up our oneness in Christ. And that is that he's called us together as his children to make his glory know, to enjoy him together. The Corinthian church, you see, had fallen into the pit of competition when it comes to gifts. They had fallen into the pit of competition, fixating on who has certain gifts, whether they were the most important ones, were they a bit more powerful, you know, was Paul even a sort of powerful apostle or was he like a League Two apostle? You know, this is where it was all going. And look what Paul says into this environment of competitiveness. Verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Wow. That suggests that if there are one or few or two members, a few members that are not working then the whole church suffers. Can you see? Think of that big aircraft carrier. There was an incident where it's amazing what can shut down a multi-billion pound piece of kit, but um, a bird got sucked into one of the big fans, and that was like chaotic. But you think that fan doesn't work, the whole ship shuts down. There's an urgent repair work that needs to go on. In the church, just a couple of disciples that are saying, ah, I'll look after myself. I don't have gifts. I'm not needed. Actually, that's quite self-indulgent as well. A few disciples were members 
the suffering, the whole church suffers. To be a Christian and not exercise your gifts is a paradox. It just, that's not what being a Christian is. Being a Christian and not exercising your gifts is actually unloving. And on a deeper level, it's a lack of trust. A lack of trust in Jesus' purpose for you. So please, would you pray? Pray for each other. Pray for yourself. Pray for Grace Church that we would recognize we are not a solo project. And you can see how that ripples out. It's not just about this community. We're not a solo church. It's not about what we're doing and how we're blessing the city. It's how we're working with others to get that good news out. The other churches that we know and love and pray for and support. And we're a church that will always send people just because of our natural turnover. We've talked about that. And that's a blessing across nations. We're not a solo project. And the flip side of that is beautiful, isn't it? In verse 26. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So when we're working well together... Who gets the glory? The Lord. Who gets to enjoy the glory? We do. There's praise. Each member contributes and each member's appreciated. So let's move on to look at what are these spiritual gifts? And I suppose there are a couple of key texts, and I've put those there. Um, Thanks, Ali, for putting up the slide. You can see those references there, which make uh, some of the spiritual gifts explicit. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and uh, through to 14. Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. Obviously in Acts, there's lots of examples of gifts being used, teaching, evangelism, giving, healing. Um, As well as in the letters, you you see the gifts mentioned there in Galatians chapter 3, verse 5. 1 Thessalonians, when we were doing that series this time last year, we saw Paul exhorting people in their prayers in the way they would serve one another. But the gifts of the Holy Spirit are many, and they are varied. I think there's a a really healthy creativity to what God the Holy Spirit does. They're varied, and they're many. And he enables Christians, therefore, in the spiritual gifting, to go beyond what we can do in our own strength, and with our own abilities, with our own talents, and he can multiply that. To serve others. He can enable us to do more for his glory, to serve believers, to serve people not part of the church. Uh, The gifts themselves are the manifestation in verse 7. The gifts themselves are the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7. He shows himself in a concrete way when the gifts are being used. So that means this morning, just as a for instance, when Laura is leading the service, as, as Sarah leads the music, uh, as Joel has led the, the team leading and, and the setup that we've had uh, before the service, as the explorers and kids groups are meeting right now and crash and they're teaching the children and looking after them and serving them, as the welcomers greeted people coming in today, as the hospitality team are thinking, we've got to go out in the final song and make sure the tea and coffee's being brewed. All of this being done willingly. 
All of this being done with a level of preparation and diligence, which is being costly because it's taken up time at another point in the week to get ready for. All of this is the Holy Spirit on show. It's a manifestation of his goodness, of his presence, of his power, of him saying, look at my people at work. But it's not just the upfront service, is it? Think of uh, the gift of faith, which is mentioned in Acts 9, 26. And you particularly see it demonstrated in Barnabas, taking Saul to the apostles. And then again in chapter 11, Barnabas visiting Antioch and bringing Saul to teach in Antioch. It's, it's lifted, listed here, the gift of faith. Well, it's the faith of believing. It seems to be something else. And this is why I think Barnabas is an excellent example. Because it's the ability, it's this gifting of the Spirit given to some believers to discern with extraordinary confidence the will and purpose of God for the future of his work. I think that's a really helpful description. You know Barnabas stuck his neck out by bringing Paul in uh, to the church in Jerusalem and and defending him, saying, no, he's not going to kill us. Imagine doing that. You know this guy has destroyed Christians He's gone off and had a conversion experience. Oh, okay, whatever. He's had a conversion experience. No, I'll go and find him and bring him back. How much faith? And then again in Antioch, we need Saul to come here and do the discipleship. I'll put my neck on the line, my reputation. Why? Not because he's just some, um, you know, creative type who's just, oh, I'll just go and do that, see how it works out. He had faith. The Holy Spirit assured him. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, okay, where have I seen that in my life, Lord? Have you done that for me? I think, yeah, in loads of different ways, decisions that were made. I think most recently I was encouraging Greg about this. I said, Greg, when you wanted to plant Redeemer Church from Grace Church, I just knew you were the guy for the job. There was just some, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I just knew you were the guy to get this job done. And that's why I stepped up and wanted to be a trustee and put in the hours, and with the visa going wrong, and you then going to the States, and us working all that time behind the scenes to do this. I said, it was because I knew you could do this. You were meant to do this. This church was something that God was going to bring about through you. And I don't usually get that. I, I think that is this gift of faith in a particular time. Likewise, I felt with Grace Church, God hasn't given up on us. And when we had that interim place and we, I was praying about what my future is and where this church is at and how we're going to manage, I had a rock-solid feeling, confidence in the Lord. The work isn't finished here. Step up, Pete. And that needs to be discerned by everyone else. I hope you get that. I hope you ask for that. This is what the Holy Spirit is in the business of doing. What about the gift of administration? I need to mention this because I'm married to a lovely one. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Emily, who's the church administrator at Grace, is my wife as well. And uh, she tells me exactly how things run at church. So uh, she's been, I think, probably still uh, the longest serving member of staff at the moment now. But administration, you think about that. How we need administrators, how the Holy Spirit works to give people the ability to understand complex issues. 
to bring uh, a level of togetherness and organization. Seriously, the, the progressive dinner that we're having in two weeks' time, that is a miracle of the Holy Spirit through Alia Porter. Honestly, the, the technicality, the organization, pulling it all together, the Holy Spirit is on show so that we can have hospitality and enjoy fellowship with one another. Amen? So don't think you're admin. Writing emails is just stuff that can't show God's glory. Rubbish. It needs to be done. And it can be done in his power. And it can be done to bless people. So don't put off the emails. I'm saying it to myself. Answer them with grace. Answer them to serve. What about giving? Giving. Uh, it's so, it's so closely tied with mercy as well, isn't it? That mercy to follow the needs, to help those in need, whether it's in the church or out of the church. But giving where members of the church contribute to the material resources of gospel work you, and missions, and they do it with the joy and freedom, that gift. I'd, I'm humbled by the generosity of this church. I was humbled when I was working in ministry to business and saw business men and women who were always being asked for money, <laughs> the Christians. And yet they gave and gave and gave to so many things. Uh, I had one friend who, who would say, God's given me a gift to make money. I'm good at making wealth. I can generate wealth. But you know what? He loved giving it away more. Isn't that beautiful? Do we pray for the cultivation of the gift of giving in our lives? Do we pray maybe, okay, I don't have much now, Lord, but I've got to get it right now. I've got to be generous now so that in years to come, maybe when you entrust me with more wealth, whether it's an inheritance, whether it's the job promotion that brings in the big bucks, whatever it is, that you say, this doesn't own me. It's for your kingdom. Well, there are some very helpful lists that people have drawn up from various passages across the New Testament to bring together the spiritual gifts. And I think they are helpful. But it's interesting that the New Testament, in no real place, puts together a master plan. And then, frustratingly, doesn't say, here are your five steps to working out your spiritual gifts and how to maximize them most. It's so frustrating. It's like, what? Paul, Peter, could you have gone there just slightly for us? Vern Poitras, the theologian and pastor, he, he uses, I think this is another helpful way of just thinking about it as we think about where we are, the, the triad of Christ's offices, the, the kingly office, the priestly office, the prophetic office, which Christ fulfilled perfectly. And, and he says, now that we're united in Christ, obviously as his disciples, there's a sense in which we, we operate in these spheres. Not, not copying Jesus' work, that's completed and finished. But in, in, in some way, as we're exercising leadership and responsibility in the church, that, that is a kingly type of office. That would include setting up new initiatives, missionary outreaches, uh, being an elder, being a trustee, uh, leading a certain life group or a small group and taking charge of that. Um, the priestly one is about service. It's about the mercy, the love. It could include the intercessory gifts, having a real heart for prayer and praying for people, of, of developing healing ministries and praying in that regard, of pastoral care, again, of the admin stuff. And the prophetic is the speaking gifts. And so as, as you start thinking about this, can you see how they blur 
that the, the lines start overlapping. The gifts are many and they're varied. So when does teaching stop becoming teaching and, and it becomes encouragement? And when does encouragement become a prophetic word? You know, that moment where you're chatting and the person goes, oh, I just needed to hear that. Or in a Bible study, the way someone explains something and the lights go on. That prophetic insight. No, we all have a responsibility to give and to be generous. But when does that move into the gift of giving? It's, it's messy, isn't it? It's creatively messy. It's dependently messy on the Holy Spirit. He's the one in control. It's Christ's mission we're serving. And he expects to empower lots of service, lots of good work, more. Because that is his agenda. And so it should be ours. Now, some of the gifts are very ordinary. Some are very extraordinary. And it is a sad irony, isn't it, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit given to build his church up have become a battlefield, have become an occasion for division and animosity and mistrust between brothers and sisters in Christ. Some gifts are at the storm center of argument, like miracles, tongues, messages of wisdom, and knowledge, and prophecy, and healing. Now, all gifts from God are supernatural, in that they all demonstrate his presence, the Holy Spirit at work. Now, whether tongues, mercy, helps, evangelism, or teaching, it's all the same spirit, Paul says, and it's all the same Lord. And they're all for proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. Not me, not you, not one particular church, not one particular mega ministry. The debate between whether those overtly miraculous gifts stopped with the apostles because they were primarily confirming the truth, so that's one side of the debate, is that these gifts, these miraculous gifts, have stopped because they were used for the apostolic ministry and then to officiate and to authorize um, the apostles and the establishment of the church. And therefore, now that we have the scriptures rightly, fully canonical, um, uh, the true testament to all that Christ has done, his good news, we are now in a different stage. And so the miracles aren't needed in the same way. That's one part of the debate. Or the other side is, do they continue? Do they continue? And then within that, there's, yeah, they continue just like it's like we should be expecting people to rise from the dead. We should be able to do the very things that the Apostle Paul and others did in Acts. That's normative. Get on. Let's see it happen. And then there's all degrees of difference and understanding and trying to be faithful within that. Do these gifts continue? Well, they can't continue necessarily in the same level of authority and infallibility. I, I find that difficult to hold. Because there's something unique going on with the apostles. And yet... these gifts still function. Paul says they're here for the church. 
So they function today. I'd say they function not in an exact sort of straight line correlation with apostolic ministry. But yeah, there are prophetic messages. There are speaking gifts. The Holy Spirit is used to prod and to point and to prompt and to rub into our hearts God's truth. Now those messages, I would say, are not infallible on the level of Scripture. They're fallible. They're to be tested. We saw that in 1 John 4. They're to be weighed, just as the Bereans weighed Paul's message by Scripture. And he was speaking the infallible gospel. How much more than with these speaking gifts? I do pray for healing. I do long to see the Spirit work in ways that are extraordinary and stop us in our tracks. You see, there's a uniqueness to the ministry of the apostles, but there is a call on God's church to obey his Holy Spirit and to receive his gifts and demonstrate them. He is sovereign. He applies his gifts now, especially the speaking gifts or revelatory gifts, in a way that are, yes, they're fallible because they're to be measured by his infallible word that he works through as we open it and preach it and share it and teach one another. There have been remarkable testimonies of healings. As a church, do you consider the testimonies of healings we have enjoyed? I think most recently of Lottie Winterbottom, the little baby of Abigail and Matthew Winterbottom, who were part of Grace Church between 2021 and 2022, her heart was in the wrong place. It was in the opposite side to where it should be. And all the medical prognosis looked dark and very bleak. And she's alive. We prayed. I can remember going round with Jez and we prayed with them. I knew there were other church family members praying for them. There were their family praying for them. There were other churches praying for them. It didn't look very dramatic. And God in his grace has healed and is healing Lottie. It doesn't mean that she's been made, the heart's moved to the right place or anything. But amazingly, her life is being sustained. The doctors cannot believe it. A friend of mine, Matthew Kimpton-Smith, fell off his bike, had a heart attack, went into a coma. As he fell off, there was a cardiologist, uh, uh, sorry, a consultant anaesthetist driving the other way. This is up in the middle of nowhere, out in Derbyshire. Driving the other way, stops the car, realizes something definitely serious has gone wrong, has CPR going, whilst the helicopter's called to, to come in and pick him up. He's then taken to hospital, he's in a coma, for at least two or three weeks with the family called to come together, he's going to die. He's walking around right now, sharing the gospel miraculously. This man, the doctor said, would be dead. And not just he's back with us, he's talking. He's lost five years' worth of memory but he can speak. The doctors have said to him, you're, you're in the 1% miracle, you shouldn't even be able to dress yourself. 
Now, there's a whole other issue of why does God answer some prayer and not others? I get that. But that still doesn't take away from the fact that God heals. And we should expect it. And we should expect it with both humility and joy. We don't have to over-egg it. We don't have to make it the central thing. But it is a thing. We should long for it. We should be expectant here at Grace Church to pray for that because that is how we serve and bless one another. I must admit, though, in my own Christian life, I have been hugely blessed by different pictures or words or that revelatory, the prophetic insights that people might have which they want to share. At several different points, it has been an absolute blessing. And it just happens behind the scenes, humbly, without drawing attention to it. It's a huge encouragement. We need to be encouragers. We need to speak. If we feel prompted, share that. If you're reading a verse, send it. Send it to that person on your heart. I remember at MTB, this is probably one of the craziest things I did, I wrote an email to a guy that I'd met before, and several months had passed, and I was being praying for him, and I just felt I needed to write an email to encourage him. You're going through a tough time. Don't worry. It, It will work out. I didn't hear anything, and I put a Bible verse, he's not Christian, and I thought, oh, you know, that's sunk. He phoned me four days later and said, I couldn't reply to you on email because I needed to speak to you. What you sent was just what I needed to hear. And it was a small step in the right direction of him moving forward in his faith from a point of not believing. And actually, part of the apologetic was I was able to introduce him to other Christian business people that helped him see it worked out. But I have struggled with the more charismatic side of things as well, within my own walk with Christ. There have been times I feel there's been manipulation. I don't like the showmanship of some types of it. And I think people who are charismatic don't like those things as well. I've been blessed by the ministries of people like Sam Storms, who is a phenomenal Bible teacher and and calls himself a card-carrying charismatic, and it's brilliant. Wayne Grudem, these guys who have, have spent scholarly time in the Scriptures, but also building up the church and being able to help people understand the gifts. But I have struggled with some of the exaggerated claims, with the abuses that come with it. But there are also abuses on the other side. So we struggle with abuses. We struggle when things are done wrong. I think some of it can set unhealthy expectations about the victorious life in Christ. I think that's sometimes really unbiblical, actually, in what's being taught. It wrongly ignores the biblical teaching of suffering. It wrongly ignores taking up your cross. It wrongly ignores the centrality of God's power seen in weakness. But that's why I also want us to work hard to show God's glory through the work of his spirit. GCM is not an anti-charismatic church. Let that be heard and understood. And so we want to depend on the gifts the Holy Spirit has for us, don't we? chapter 13 is so crucial to understanding all this because Paul says I've talked about all these gifts but you need love you need love, love, love 
And that's why I'm so pleased that Edom and Anita have agreed, as we come to a close, agreed to, to share how they use the gift of tongues uh, as part of their uh, discipleship. And it, we will have to come back to this. I know chapter 14 and the prophetic and stuff, I appreciate this isn't going deep enough for many, but we will come back to it. But if Edom and Anita would just come, and I just wanted to be able to have a chance to chat with them. Uh, Edom, for some of you who don't know, is one of our elders here as well. Anita is wonderful, faithful wife, loving couple, leading a life group together. It's such a blessing to have you as part of our church family for over seven years. Um, so with the gift of tongues, can you tell us, Edom, how did you know you received it? Yeah, thanks, Pete. Good morning, church. I grew up in a church which is very, very conservative. In fact, um, it's so conservative. It's an Old Testament church. We, I mean, you can't go into the, te- the, the church. You have to take your slippers off, out, before you get in. So that's the sort of background I have. So Holy Spirit and all that is not a thing I grew up with. But going to uni, becoming a Christian and all that, I became a Christian and, of course, um, I wouldn't say I spoke in tongues when I became a Christian, no. But I was part of a group which went out to villages to preach the gospel. And one day, while we were out there, we woke up in the morning to, or we always woke up in the morning to pray for hours before we went out. So we were praying. While we were praying, I felt a very strong sense of God's um, majesty. And so I, I was just praising him and, you know, acknowledging his majesty and power. But then it got stronger and stronger. I realized I didn't have words to explain or talk about how the weight of that glory and majesty and power before I realized it, I started speaking in another language, and to me, I, I could understand it, but not in human words, and then it just started like that. So that's how my sort of started. Excellent. So, so actually, it wasn't a, a sort of revival meeting or something like that with someone laying hands on you or anything. It, it was coming out of a natural expression of your prayerful time, and you would say that the tongues there weren't an Acts 2 tongue. You weren't proclaiming gospel in a human language it was a vocalization that you couldn't understand but were being led into in that praise thank you anita for yourself okay i'd also like to give um, a bit of background as well um so uh, similar to edom i grew up in um, the methodist church in ghana also very conservative tongue speaking but it wasn't something that happened in my local church there was word of knowledge sometimes, but it wasn't really anything we focused on much. Um, so I will talk a little bit about a friend of mine um, that I met in university, um, Debbie. So she was Catholic and um, met another Christian who was charismatic and very um, sharing about his ex- spiritual experiences. And she was very adamant, shutting it down, that like, this doesn't exist. I don't believe it. Um, so after a while, I think um, the, the person almost gave up, but she said, you know what, I don't want anyone to touch me, lay hands on me or anything. If it happens, I want it to be out of the ordinary so that I know for sure. Um, so I think a couple of weeks later, um, she was in a Catholic prayer meeting. Um, they were all praying very quietly and then she suddenly started speaking out in another language, shocked everybody there. Um, but the, the most amazing thing was the testimony, what I saw in her. She changed dramatically. She had a powerful witness. Um, she's going to be with the Lord now, but in her hope, from that point on, she was an amazing witness. So um, to myself, what she did was she dragged me along to a meeting. 
Um, and um, I, we were just all there. I didn't know what was happening. I, so I stood in a corner praying on my own. And someone came to me and said, can we pray together? So I said, okay, um, let's pray. So um, I just started worshiping, similar to Edwin, I was just worshiping and started speaking words I couldn't understand. Um, yeah, and for me, the massive change in me from that point on, well, that was I was able to pray for long periods of time, daily. I had, it was very, it was very different for me. Um, and that happened, that continued for months. Mm. And yeah. It really affected my prayer life. Thank you. And so on that, Anita, how does it strengthen, how does the gift strengthen you in that sense? And how is it a blessing to others? So you've mentioned it in terms of you, you could see a dynamic change. W- would you like to just explain a little bit more about how it's a uh, strengthening gift? Um, so for me, um, any, I've, when I, I pray and, and these words, tongues come out, it it edifies me in a way, strengthens my faith and gives me a boldness um, yeah, that I wouldn't usually have. It also helps me intercede in, in a different kind of way. Um, people would come to mind, and similar to what you said, Pete, I, would, I used to write letters or send a text or, um, or speak to someone because they've come to mind. And this usually happened when I was um, using these gifts a lot more. Thank you. Thank you. And Adam, um, just finally... Obviously, it's a, it, I've mentioned the division. It's something that people have wrestled with. There are godly Christians on different sides of the line on this, that there isn't such a thing, that, you know, that it casts questions on its authenticity, etc. How are we supposed to deal with, how do you deal, and some advice and wisdom on, yeah, how we hold this together? and not make a, a, a divisive issue of it. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And I think I'll go back to what Anita said about Debbie. I knew Debbie as well. She was a really lovely friend of ours. And just ask Debbie, just have an open mind and trust me. I mean, God is God. We can't say he can't do things miraculously. He can. He's God if he wants to. So we just have an open mind. But again, it doesn't mean he goes about doing, you know, he's God and it's a gift as well. So he... Just having an open mind, I think. I think Grace Church has been very, very gracious. Um, I mean, we came here seven years ago, and of course, we haven't really had any um, strong... Okay, so where we, the church we're in isn't like Grace Church, but Grace <laughs> Church has welcomed us, and I think that is a great testimony for us as well. Mm. And, and, and so walking in understanding together, uh, I, I think, is how it should be, how, we, how we've experienced just being open to, as we say, close hand issue, open mm. hand issue, being open yeah. and, um, uh, what's the word? Generous and welcoming. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, guys. Thank you. And, um, yeah, please show your appreciation and love for sharing, for them sharing their testimony on that. And I appreciate, even by sort of asking Edam and Anita to just share a little bit of insight onto how they use the gift of tongues, I've elevated one gift, which is not the intention in sort of saying, oh, let's talk about tongues. I am not saying that's the greatest thing. That would be totally counter to what Paul's saying. But wasn't it fascinating that in the testimony, something I loved hearing was that the friend, Anita said, her witness, her going out, infectious. I can't get away. I know it's like this question. 
now eagerly de desire the greater gifts. You go, well, Paul, can you write down what they are? You know, it's like, which ones, mate? <laughs> and, you know, I think it's, he leaves it there because the Holy Spirit is creative. But can't you see where this is all going? The whole letter is going to Christ. These gifts are meant to help people meet him. Whether you pray in tongues, whether you get prophetic insights, whether you're praying for healing in someone's ankle or their, you know, in dramatic ways. Okay, their body's fixed, but if they're going to hell, that doesn't help. They've got to know Jesus. We want them in the power of the Spirit to say, verse 3, Jesus is Lord. The greater gifts have to lead people there. And so just briefly, finally, I know we've run over time, brothers and sisters, and we will have to revisit this. But the point to finish on is, well, how do you know what your spiritual gifts are? You're like, oh, Pete, you've, you've totally misweighted your sermon and everything. This is kind of what I need to know. But I really love the fact that Sam Storms, who's this guy, card-carrying card charismatic, reformed Calvinist, charismatic. I mean, he really he puts all of this on his website, um, I think just to wind up some of his close friends in America. But um, he said, I love it. He's the one who says, don't bother with these tests and these charts and trying to find out what your gift is. You know what? He just says beautifully, coming straight from Scripture, go and serve. How do you know what your gifts are? Look where there's a need. Pray. Ask the Spirit to guide you to those who are weak, those who are afflicted, those who are destitute, those who do not know Christ. Ask the Spirit to show you where are the gaps here at Grace Church Manchester. Where do we need help? Ask for words of wisdom and insight that you can share with someone that will encourage them and comfort them. Go and do. Go and ask. Serve. Serve for Christ's glory. Who's the person that you know who is drifting away from the faith and you could be using a speaking gift right now into their life because their soul is precious. Go serve them. Don't put it off. Don't think that's Pete's job or the elders or someone else at Life Group can do it. What if the Holy Spirit is saying, you are going to do it because I'm going to show people I'm working. Ask. Ask. And trust that the Holy Spirit is giving these gifts not to deceive people or to create division. He's giving them to build up his church. And he wants the fruit to be seen. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, the self-control, which is his fruit to be exercised through these gifts coming out. I was moved to hear on YouTube, and this is a closing point, on YouTube this week, John Piper did a short video and he was talking about the last email exchange he had with Timothy Keller before Timothy died. And uh, Ali, if you can put the, sorry, the, the PowerPoint on, because it is this reference that you can see there, Luke 10, verse 20. Within this email, Tim Keller with John Piper, they were exchanging how they were delighting and praising God for the ministries that have been going on, for the work done. And Tim wrote in the email... 
to uh, Piper, he said, but Luke 10, 20. But Luke 10, 20, that's it. That's the main thing. You should be more thrilled that you are saved. You should take more delight in the Savior than the service. Because what does Jesus say to his disciples in Luke 10? They've just come back from a massive mission, 72. They've seen some amazing stuff happen. And Jesus says, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you that you have not left us alone, that your church is filled with your spirit. We're on your mission. Lord, I love the fact that you want to give so many gifts to your church. So I pray, Holy Spirit, would you bring a spirit of openness upon us that we would receive, and not just receive, but seek and ask And not to do that for the glory of our known name, for the glory of, oh, look how accomplished I am. No, we say no to that. We we repent of those sinful ideas. And we say, Father, we want to be vessels in your hands, used for your glory, that more and more people will say, Jesus is Lord. That these gifts would abound. That your church would be on your mission. And Father, thank you that we can figure this out together with you, in the power of your spirit, in the word, as brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray today that, Father, if you have prompted someone to come to you and ask, or come to you and say, empower me to do this because I've been putting it off, Lord, would you work? Would you not let them go from here without doing business with you and committing themselves to service for your glory? Amen.